0: Okay, um, so just a reminder that we're not doing the uh, Sunday school um, video series on parenting this morning, but we're going to be uh, following up on in, on our Revelation sermon series and talking a little bit about eschatology, which is that... Uh, which is the study of what's going to happen at the end of history. And um, it's not my favorite subject to talk about. Um, it's there. not the subject I know the most about, for sure. Um, but it's, you know, something in the Bible, we need to address it. And there's many glorious things that... Uh, Give us wonderful hope as we learn about the end. And God, Jesus kept pointing us to the end to uh, inspire us about how we live today. So let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Father, for your presence among us this morning. Thank you for your word. We don't come this morning merely as students to uh, grapple with issues and, and uh, endeavor to, to understand things intellectually. But Lord, we come as your children and uh, we know that you are the fountain of life, but you're also the fountain of hope for us. We thank you for your word and for its precious promises. Pray that our hearts would be renewed today, dear Lord, and as well as our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so last week we talked about Revelation chapter 20, the first part. And um, that is the part about the millennium. Where's my phone? Oh hiding behind you put it there. You you hid it from me. Just kidding. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you were the one who knew where it was because you were the one who obscured it from me. So you know, Revelation twenty talks about the angel coming and taking Satan and throwing him into the pit. And shutting it and sealing it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer for a thousand years. And then after that he'll be released for a little while. Today in, the, in my sermon we'll be talking about what that release looks like. What the period of time after <clears throat> the millennium looks like. But this is in fact the only time in the, new, in the Bible talks about this thousand years in this language and uh, it is the center therefore of all, of much of the controversy over uh, different opinions about um, what's going to happen in the future. So you've probably heard of premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism and these are all based just on this one passage here in, Rome, in Revelation 20. Um, I have uh, told you that as, I, as we go through the book of Revelation, as I see the pattern that's set before us, which is not neat and tidy, not like a lecture that's an outline form, but like you're throwing a bunch of puzzle pieces, um, that, you know, there's, there's emerges patterns that uh, the age that we live in today is definitely an age of trouble and tribulation and persecution, but it's also an age in which there's a faithful witness of the church to the world such that, that uh, people from every nation, tribe and tongue are brought to Christ and his kingdom is built um, then this will be followed by a brief time when Satan is unleashed and provokes a great onslaught against the people of God to such an extent that this onslaught will actually appear to be successful. Like, um, you know, I know that some of you aren't into sports, but if you can imagine watching a game and one team is ahead 40 to nothing and the last minute of the game is ticking down, you know, it's that kind of feeling. It's like this game is over, right? Right it's not technically over, but for all intents and purposes, it's over. You can't come back that fast and win this game. And uh, so that's the kind of feeling that you get about the uh, the way that Satan will um, attack and seem to have conquered the people of God. However, we're also told that The Lord himself will intervene and that he will rescue his people and he will judge his enemies. And this results in a great reconstruction of the heavens and the earth. We haven't really gotten to that part very much. Um, And the great wedding day of Christ and his beloved bride, the church. We have gotten to that. So that's the way I see the the patterns of the book of Revelation. But for some Christians, this one passage in Revelation 20 adds another, another step or another stage in this that is the millennium. And because chapter 20 comes after chapter 19, which is the vision of the Lord returning, they think that the the uh, vision in 20 must follow the vision in 19 chronologically so that the millennium has to come after the return of Christ. Which means that they believe that the return of Christ is pre Millennial before the millennium. So um, that's there have been premillennialists since early in the church's history. Um, so that's one take on this passage and where it fits in the Book of Revelation. And the, and the eschatology in general um, there's another take called post-millennialism which believes that um, there is a uh, that Jesus comes after the millennium that there is, that you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, passages in the prophets the Old Testament prophets which talk about a glorious day coming And so that, all those passages about a glorious day coming um, have been, by many, imported into this concept of the millennium. That must be when this happens. uh, So the pre-millennialists think that that, uh, Jesus is going to come and he's going to set up this golden age this time of, of justice and harmony and worship of Christ here on this earth um, after he returns the post-millennialists though say no we, we agree that all of those Old Testament prophecies belong in the millennium but we think that Jesus is going to come after it. So they look forward into the future for a time when we will have this glorious golden age on earth and then after that Jesus will return. They actually believe that after that there will be an unleashing of Satan from Revelation 20 and then for a short time and then Christ will come. So, future golden age, then unleashing, and then Christ's return. So, that's the way post millennialists view it. Now, I am all millennial, and uh, the reason that my view is, and, or the view of myself and many others, is referred to as all millennial is because. Um, when, when others hear our view of the millennium they say, ah, you don't even believe in a millennium so they call us ah millennialists which means no millennium but of course we do believe in a millennium we just believe that we're in the millennium that this is the millennium and that the millennium is limited in its glory um, because it's a time of progress of the kingdom and growth of the kingdom, but it's also um, um, in association with suffering and hardship and uh, the curse. Um, this this age is really reliving the life of Christ the belief, believe um, whereby just like Christ came to triumph so we as his people are triumphing now but he didn't triumph with an army coming with swords he triumphed by suffering by becoming a servant and by dying, and that's really ultimately how he triumphed and that's what millennials believe that we're doing now it's a really the key to it is this little uh, explanation given in revolution 20 about the nature of Satan's binding when he's bound for the thousand years it tells us that what the purpose of that is, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer and um, so you remember last week we we talked about what that meant. Uh, some people you know, take it in an absolute sense that that you know Satan is removed from the scene, and remember we had the two drawings last week of the the Two people that are, are the two cartoons with uh, that illustrate the binding. One is of a man who's tied up with rope from head to foot. He can't do anything, and that's how they view the binding of Satan. From uh, the uh, those who are opposed to all millennialism. <laughs> um and uh, whereas the other cartoon was of a, a an angry or dangerous dog and he's bound in the sense that he has a leash on him and there's a, someone holding him back and that is a better illustration of what the unmillennialist believes about the millennium, that Satan is bound not in the sense that he can't do anything anymore not in the sense that he can't trouble people anymore But in a sense that he's limited in what he's able to do. In the Old Testament, remember, Satan had complete, pretty much, complete say with regard to the nations. And remember that the nations is the exact same in Greek as the Gentiles. So, you know, God called his people... And he gave them his word. This is why, you know, in the description of, of uh, in, Revel- in Romans chapter 3, when it says, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Great in every way. First of all, they have the oracles of God. And that is the, one of the great treasures. They had the word of God. The Jews did. But that implies the rest of the world didn't. They were held under the deception of Satan. They were held in the darkness all through the Old Testament age. Now, this is, well, I'm not talking about an absolute sense. There were Gentiles like Ruth, like um, Rahab, that's the name I was looking for, thank you, uh, who were Gentiles, and yet. God reached out and pulled them into his people and that um, so that there are certain Gentiles that God took even though the Gentiles at large were given over to Satan in the Old Testament but as you know when Jesus came that changed it didn't it wasn't obvious at first even though there were a number of prophecies in the Old Testament that said that Jesus would indeed shine light unto the Gentiles. You know, it talks about Galilee and uh, how a light, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, a light has dawned. And then you see the passage in uh, Isaiah 49.6 which basically says that about the coming Messiah, you are too great to be just... The, the king of Israel, just the savior of Israel. You know, you have to save all the nations. So when Jesus came, one of the things that distinguished, one of the things that changed radically at that point was that the Gentiles were, were included. And this was a process. Jesus did very little of the bringing in of the Gentiles himself he did do some and that those little things he did like healing the centurion's son and, and commending the uh, Syrophoenician woman for her faith and those things pointed forward they are like little prophecies of what was to come And but he himself said you know I, I'm sent to the lost children of Israel and, uh, and yet it's pretty clear that Part of the disciples' calling was that that would expand outside of Israel and that the Gentiles would be brought in. And then, you know, right at Pentecost, uh, when um, the Holy Spirit comes down, one of the big signs of the Holy Spirit's coming is speaking all the languages of the world. You know, this is like, this is a radical change. <laughs> the God of the Old Testament doesn't speak all the languages of the world. You know, that's, he's speaking to his people. But now all of a sudden, all the people of the world are being brought into this circle. And uh, then, of course, the incident with Peter and Cornelius' house with the dream of the sheep coming down and the different unclean animals and Peter being told to eat. And he refuses three times and uh, and finally, he gets it that that uh, you know, he, he, Peter's a stubborn guy, and but he really the, all the Jews were like this. That was not they weren't ready for this aspect of the kingdom. That suddenly the Gentiles, people as filthy and dirty as you and I, would be included into the circle of God's favor, and. So, I think that that's what th- this is talking about in Revelation 20, where the, uh, Satan is bound so that he c- could not deceive the nations any longer. This is the day when, when uh, the, the gospel would go out to the Gentiles. In fact, you know, it's found in many ways a much happier home in the Gentile world. Than in the Jewish world. Now, there is, that's not a completely fair statement. You see, God didn't, when he brought the Gentiles in, he didn't say, okay, uh, I'm going to, you know, I've given my word to the Jews and you disciples are all Jews and you have this great Jewish church in Jerusalem, but now I'm going to go out and I'm going to start something among the Gentiles too. No, he broke down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, so that they were supposed to be together, and that was part of the problem. They weren't used to being together. And so this became a great controversy all through the, the period of the New Testament, uh, where the Jews were having real problems welcoming and accepting the Gentiles into their churches and into their midst. And, uh, but, you know, so this is, this is uh, when, when the, the Gentiles be, were grafted in and, and became part of the church, Basically, the Jews lost their Jewishness over time. You see, imagine that you're, you're uh, in a church, um, you know, say in, in Asia Minor somewhere, and at first it's all Jewish, and then, you know, Gentiles start to get evangelized, and they start joining the church, and pretty soon you have a mixed church where you have Jews who've known about the Bible forever and you have Gentiles who are, who are just heard about Jesus and here they are living together as a church and then your son falls in love with a Gentile girl in the church and then okay well there's no reason to stop them from getting married so they get married but pretty soon there is no Jewish Identity among Jewish Christians, you see, because over time, the, over the generations, they intermarry, and they lose their Jewish identity. I found out a few years ago um, from my uh, from Twenty Three and Me that I actually have Jewish blood. Didn't know that, and and uh, most likely, what that means, just a little bit. Most likely what that means is that some ancestor a few hundred years ago was Jewish and became a Christian. And then he got, you know, then he married into the, or his children married into the Gentile Christian world and their Jewish distinctiveness was lost. And that that's one of the reasons why there are not many Jewish Christians today. It's not just because the Jews have resisted it. That's, there's certainly truth to that. But in one sense, all peoples have, as a whole have resisted it. But it's also because as soon as Jews become Christians, they stop being Jews. In fact... Do you know that in the Jewish world you lose your Jewishness if you become a Christian? You know, you can be an atheist. That's fine. We'll still call you Jewish. But don't you become a Christian. If you become a Christian, you are no longer Jewish. We had a couple in our church uh, a long time ago that some of us knew. And uh, he was Jewish. And he, uh, he and his wife were homeless drug addicts. And then they became Christians. And got over their drug addiction. And got jobs. And became responsible people. But his parents said to him we would rather have you have stayed as homeless drug addicts than to become christians so that's the point this is a big thing in the bible about the transition from the from the people of god being pretty much a Jewish people, or people of Israel, to the Gentiles, to it being every people on earth, and that's what Romans twenty, in my opinion, is talking about when it talks about uh, that Satan is bound so that he will not deceive the nations anymore. Okay, so we've talked about premillennialists who believe that Christ comes before the millennium. We've talked about postmillennialists who believe that Christ comes after the millennium. We've talked about amillennialists like myself who believe that this is the millennium, this is a time of, of uh, where Satan is restrained, but that there's coming a time when he, that restraint will be taken off he will be released for a short time. And uh, that won't be a, a pretty day um, because all the nations will be gathered to uh, attack the church, to the people of God. And uh, But then just as they are, are looking hopeless, Christ will intervene and rescue them and judge the... Uh, his enemies. Um, I want to read you one of the passages that is, I, told, I referred to earlier these passages in the Old Testament prophets which speak of a golden day. Some of these passages aren't easy to grapple with, and I don't mean that they're emotionally difficult, they're just confusing because it's hard to pinpoint what they're talking about. I want to give you one illustration. And the, the purpose for this, I could avoid passages that uh, are awkward for all millennialists, but I, that wouldn't be fair, that wouldn't be right. I, I want you to know that this isn't something that's just so clear and obvious that, that uh, any idiot can figure it out. Um, so there are... Arguments against all the positions that are pretty strong. And here's one against amillennialism Isaiah 65, beginning in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create behold I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people no more shall we heard it no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days you see up until this point Everything, you could think, oh, that's just heaven. That's life, you know, in the new day. A new heavens and a new earth. That's eternity that we talked about. But now he says, no, no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill his, out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit, which is uh, in the Old Testament one of the one of the uh, curses. One of the ways that signs of being cursed is that you do all the work and someone else gets all the benefit. And that's what this is talking about. Um, They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. So they'll live to be hundreds of years old. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So here we have passages like this. And for the amillennial he's left trying to figure out how we can explain this and where this could fit it doesn't seem to fit um, now because or any concept of what the rest of this age is going to be like and yet it doesn't really fit in heaven either because people are still dying people are still being born um And uh, there's still sinners around, and the serpent's still around. Um, So, there there are two ways that all millennialists have explained this, but honestly, neither one is that satisfying. One is um, that basically this is a description of glory, of The uh, life after the the return of Christ within the new heavens and the new earth, it's just put in language that the people would understand. It's put in language that that where you know this is the best these people can imagine right now. So we're going to describe it as the best life you can imagine, but you shouldn't take it literally. The other possibility is called telescoping. You know, when you go, uh, when you're far enough away from something, a lot of times things, you don't distinguish things that are 100 miles away from things that are 150 miles away. They look all the same. Then you drive there and you find out, wow, this isn't one big mountain. This is actually two mountains. And, and you know, they're like this. So they look... Like the same mountain, but they 're not the same mountain they're fifty miles in between them, and so this is really like throwing it all together. All these future ages are being thrown together, both you know the age of Christ and all the good things about the age of Christ and then the age of eternity and they 're being put together and viewed from far away so again. Um, that's the response that people have come up with, um, but it's not. Um, nobody thinks that's just hits the ball out of the park and answers all the questions and doesn't and removes all the difficulties. So let me stop here and see if we want to discuss things. And uh, I'm sure that um, people have thoughts. Scott. Uh, just regarding that last. Uh...
1: Scripture you were reading. Um, when I read uh, that kind of scripture, I <clears throat> I, I don't know. If this fits in. I don't think this fits in with either of your two explanations. But I think quite frequently uh, we look at God's word and we and we we translate it or or understand it in with with uh, worldly eyes. And uh, I don't think. God sees it the same way. I mean, uh, we know that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So, you know, throughout, right now, you know, in the Western world, at least, we think things are falling apart. But, you know, God is still building his church and it's still moving on. And, you know, places, Africa, and South America, China.
0: Even here he's building his church, right? Right,
1: right. Yep. He still is building his church here. But, um uh I think of the, uh, I guess, I don't know if it's an Acts or the end of one of the uh, Gospels, but you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the world. And, I, you know, his, basically his kingdom's kind of rolling out. You, I mean, you can see through history how it was around the Mediterranean and Asia, and then it moved up into Europe, and then it moved over here, and now it's moved. You know, so it's, you, you read Daniel and Daniel Paul, Talks about that little stone that right. keeps rolling; and it becomes a mountain. I, I think that's still ha- I think that's still happening. And I think, uh, regardless of how we see, you know, our little world, um, and, and, and like you were talking about the uh, the part about uh, and the inhabiting. Uh, you know, yeah. you will build and some, something, right. else, yeah. well, and you will inhabit. Uh, I can see that very easily being due to the spread of the Christian faith when you think about the Middle Ages and the barbarians and, you know, even today, even with all our corruption and everything else, the, the, the medical uh, world and the fact that we are living to a hundred um, and there's the injustice, even though there's a lot of injustice, it's, it's, not, like, it's not like it was 2,000 years ago. Um, so I feel like you know, like that to me, that passage that you read describes perfectly uh, the amillennial view in my mind. Yeah.
0: The, the the lion and the lamb are we haven't got solved that one yet. Joel. Uh,
2: years ago, my I, uh, I was visiting my grandfather in Seattle, and he's a, he was an elder at the time, and there were two younger guys having a um, eschatology debate. You know, in the room before Sunday school, and they eventually asked my grandfather to weigh in on some topic, and he said, basically the equivalent of I used to be pretty well informed. You know, I spent some time reading and understanding about eschatology, and then I spent more dedicated time really diving into it and uh, really reading up on it and trying to understand it better. Now I know less, and uh, his I think, as you said, you know, at the beginning is that this is something that the Bible teaches about and wants us to know about. And so that's why we study it, is because, you know, God is telling us something, and He has a message for us, otherwise it wouldn't be in Scripture. Um, but at the same time, I think this is sort of what my grandfather was hinting at, is that we're really bad at putting on different hats when we're addressing different issues. As I think he did a good job of this too, is that you have to have a certain humility in that God clearly also makes clear that we're not supposed to have a full understanding of this, otherwise He would have communicated differently. Um, And so, uh, but that's really hard uh, for humans in general. Um, And approaching it with like different, you wouldn't with other topics. You know, there's other things that people are, you know, bringing forward idol worship and stuff like that. You're not supposed to have like a nuanced opinion about that and, um, you know, saying, well, there's different competing ideas. So I think Satan tries to put us in these positions where we, you know, find it very difficult to have the mature view of things when we approach these. Uh, so I think presentations like this are really important to be able to, um, first off, understand God wants us to know about this,
0: and we should study it, and we should do it, but putting it in a right place is very difficult. Very good. I think this is why my professors recommended teaching on this only after many years of experience in the ministry as opposed to doing it right out of seminary.
2: Right. It would be bad if this was like every Sunday school, you know, where this was every sermon, you know. Sure. Mary.
0: Uh, the, rap- the word rapture, um, which we haven't really talked about because there is, there's only one passage in all of Revelation that, that even could be connected to the rapture, at least in my understanding. But the concept of the rapture is, in the, um, is that um, God is going to take his people out of the earth um, before he comes to judge the earth. Um, and so it's the uh, um, the removal of God's people from the earth, uh, you know. Just and then you'll turn around and they're not there, you know. Um, there's passages in the Gospels about this, but uh, also Larry Norman sings a song. You know, I wish we'd all been ready. You know, it's like people just disappear and all of us are like wondering where they went and then you know like the other day uh, there was a I came um, there was a whole group of people in my house and then I ran downstairs for a minute I came up and everyone was gone (laughs) And of course, the classic Christian joke is I think the rapture occurred because, you know, everybody disappeared except for me. And um, so anyway, the, uh, those, there are passages which talk about how we'll be taken up to be with Jesus. The, um, the more classical interpretation of that is not um, that we will um, disappear while everybody else continues to live their life here at least not for long, it will be that when the Lord returns we will, um, and comes to judge the earth, we'll be taken to join him in the air and then participate in the judgment Um, and that's actually what the word there means in Greek. It's It's a term where an army would be attacking a city and they would call forth all of those who were on their side to come out of the city and join them so that they didn't become part of the judged, but part of the judging. Um, Anyway, so uh, who else has something? We only have a couple minutes left.
1: have already said this This just just reminded me Joel reminded me of this uh, uh, I don't know if he did commentaries on every book of the Bible but he did most of them if not all of them except Revelation, that's John Calvin so he asked him why and he said because I don't understand (laughs) Uh, I thought that was pretty pretty interesting
0: yeah so that's, that's a good, did everybody hear that? yeah, right and you know, John Calvin even though he died a relatively young man um, so if he'd lived to be my age he probably would have written or written, wouldn't have figured it out anyway but uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy thing and, and he was about the greatest mind of his uh, century at least so uh, anyway um, you know, one of the things that One of the problems with eschatology is that people come to a conclusion, and then they reconstitute the whole Bible according to their understanding, and then they they uh, so the whole they're not able to really read the Bible and hear it as it is. They're they're picking and choosing based on their understanding. Let me just give you an example. Um, I've heard post-millennialists before you know who believe that that we're going to be moving into an age of victory and where Christ will dominate in the world and they basically say that the he said that the Sermon on the Mount will expire that in that day we won't be living by the Sermon on the Mount because we'll be in charge we won't be the little guy. This is how we're supposed to live while we're the persecuted ones but there'll be a day coming when we'll be in charge and we won't be called to live as the persecuted anymore to me it's like apart from your interpretation of eschatological issues when you start saying stuff like that you know there's something way off in the way that you're thinking and the way that you're interpreting the Bible so that's just a Yes. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I just keep uh, bringing up things up. I, I, I'm sure you've said this in, in, in your sermons and all, but, but uh, Revelation is full of apocalyptic language, which is basically, think of it as pictures, lots of pictures, right. and, 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 uh, and a lot of somewhat exaggerated, frequently exaggerated language. Um, like we read something about, you know, the stars will fall from the skies. And so you figure that's got to be the end of the earth. And yet in the Old Testament, there was prophesied times, which happened in the Old Testament. And that same language was used, the stars are going to fall from the sky. But obviously they didn't fall from the sky. So when you read, you know, when there's one little section here on the millennium or another section, something that kind of sounds like a rapture, right. we make such a big deal about it, but these are pictures, and, right. and, uh, and it's not necessarily didactic kind of language.
0: Right, and that's why, that's really why I take the stance I do about the Revelation 20, because to me, you know, the, the thrust of the whole book can't, shouldn't be undone by the interpretation of one little passage in it. But uh, we should we should feel secure about something that the Bible says over and over and over and over again. Much more than we feel secure about the, something the Bible says once, especially if it's a difficult passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to talk about these things. Thank you for the glorious hope that we have in Christ and in his return. Please be with us now as we prepare our hearts to worship you. May joy and love in Jesus abound in this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.